Hello, and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast, the show that brings you the latest from the frontiers of life science, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques Digital Editor, Tristan Free, and in this podcast, I'll explore the latest developments from across the life sciences, speaking to leaders in their field and people who can provide new perspectives on established topics, while examining how we can advance in the most ethical and progressive ways. In this episode, we'll be returning to the topic of sustainability in the lab. This is a topic that's close to our heart at Biotechniques, and especially for this podcast, as our first episode was on the unsustainable lab with my fellow digital editor, Abigail Sawyer, which is definitely worth checking out if you haven't already listened to that episode. Today, we will look to provide some updates on that episode, but before we get into it, some introductions. Today, I'll be speaking to Neil Lane, Chief Strategy Officer of Sterling Ultra Cold. Neil, please can you introduce yourself and your institution? So I serve as the Chief Strategy Officer for Sterling Ultra Cold. We manufacture very energy efficient, ultra low temperature freezers. Freezers like this are, are ubiquitous in life sciences research. They operate at minus 80 degrees C, and historically they used very large amounts of energy. Our freezers are very much more energy efficient. I also serve on the board of My Green Lab, which is a non-for-profit in California, and the mission is to create a culture of sustainability through science. So I have some more general knowledge about the labs from serving on that board. Okay, fantastic. So what do you consider um, to currently be the biggest negative contribution from research labs to the environment? I, I think there are, there are three large areas. Um, I think there's, there's energy, and that's driven by two things. It's driven by ultra-low temperature freezers and, and fume hoods. A lot of work has been done on fume hoods, and more recently, a lot of work has been done on ultra-low temperature freezers. And then the third thing is is the the material, um, the waste stream from labs. The, the fact that plastic is typically not recycled, the fact that much of it, what was traditionally glassware is now plastic. So uh, freezers, fume hoods, and the waste stream, I think, go together to make labs have a very large negative sustainability. Um, okay, so before we go on to look at your freezers in particular, um, how do you try and address those negative contributions in the um, your sort of research and development labs um, in in Sterling Ultra Cold? We um, we we at our facility um, have a zero waste program, um, which is very important, and we have a outside audit done on ourselves, um, and we hold ourselves accountable to that. It's important, but interestingly, the the total um, footprint environmental footprint of an ultra-low temperature freezer, the, the, the energy associated with making the freezer and the, the waste associated with making the freezer is actually quite a small component of the total life cycle impact of the freezer. So our freezers typically use about a third of the energy of uh, conventional freezers, and the consequence of that is, is, is very much larger than what we do in our research facility and in our factory. But we still do make great efforts in our facility and factory. Um, On the freezers, it's probably worth expanding on what lower energy consumption actually means because um, it's not really um, the savings and money that's important for many of our customers. Um, Typically, our customers will have goals to reduce their carbon footprint 
and there's a there's carbon associated with the generating of power. Um, and so when you reduce energy consumption by two thirds, you reduce the carbon footprint by the same amount. It depends where that power is generated, obviously, but in the U.S., there's still a significant fraction of the energy, very large fraction of the energy that is either coal or nat coal or natural gas based. Um, and then the other consequences of using less energy are you have less air conditioning required because you put less heat into the lab. And so there's a, a cascade effect where because you put less heat into the lab, you need less air conditioning, and then there's a carbon footprint associated with the air conditioning. So there's a whole um, series of, of a benefits, sustainability benefits that come from having energy efficient freezers. And, and how is it that you, you make your freezers so much more um, energy efficient? What, what are the, the differences between them and uh, higher emitting um, in freezers? We use a different cooling technology. Um, we, the, the name Sterling in our name is actually the name of a Scottish minister, Robert Sterling, who invented the Sterling cycle in uh, 1816 in Ayrshire in Scotland. Um, so the cycle has been around a very long time. And um, any, any engineer who does a thermodynamics course will hear about how Stirling cycles are very efficient. Um, but nobody really managed to commercialize Stirling cooling devices in, in, in a, on a large scale until we came along. We made a very particular decision to put those cooling devices into ultra-low temperature freezers. You know, we could have chosen to put them into household refrigerators, into um, cooling electronics, into a whole range of different things. We decided that, that the target that we wanted to go after were um, ultra-low temperature freezers. When, when we started an ultra-low temperature freezer, a single freezer typically used the same amount of energy as the average U.S. home. So, you know, at a, at a research university or a... Um, a, a biotech or pharma company, there might be two or three thousand freezers. So that was two or three thousand homes of, of uh, power being consumed. And when we when we started, we reduced that by two thirds. I think we we that decision was really a really good one. And um, I think we have been leaders in this industry in helping to create standards. We were we were leaders in the creation of the Energy Star uh, standard. Um, I think what was really important that until we came along, the industry had not considered energy efficiency to be at all important. Um, and we, we've effectively changed the industry. We, our, our competitors now have more energy efficient products, and uh, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we didn't just introduce a freezer, we actually made an industry change its direction. And uh, so you, you mentioned your involvement in, um, in My Green Lab. What are some of the most exciting things that you've seen recently in developments that have been associated with My Green Lab? Yeah, My Green Lab does a, a really good job um, in, in, in raising awareness and is, is a, a real force for good in the, in the world of sustainable labs. So there are a number of different programs that they have. They have a, a Green Lab certification program. They have a green chemistry education program. Um, there is a, 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 a competition called the Freezer Challenge, which is a, a voluntary competition that labs enter into to implement best practices on freezer use, 
cold freezers, uh, consolidate storage, and um, the winners of that um, get to be in a full-page ad in Nature every year. Um, so that the freezer challenge, and, and, and we as Filling Ultra Cold have supported that uh, for the last few years. And that, that's a fun thing to do. Um, this year it's been extended given the pandemic. Um, and um, the, the, the people who participated in it, I think, um, get a lot of satisfaction out of it, and they change the behavior of their organizations. Um, then there is an environmental impact label that, that uh, My Green Lab is introducing and, and um, is, is starting to be quite widely adopted. It's called the ACT label, A-C-T. And it's almost like a nutrition label. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a simple label for a um, user to a purchaser to see, you know, that what the manufacturing impact of the, um, the what the product they're buying, whether it's a, whether it's a disposable or it's a capital equipment, the user impact, and then end of life. So the ACT label is 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 growing strongly. Um, now I'm on the board, so I'm I'm. Uh, in many ways, a spectator on many of these things, but My Green Lab has really done a, a great job. Um, they recently had an online um, seminar. It was meant to be in person, um, and it will be in the future, um, and that also went very successfully. So a lot of work on all sorts of different aspects um, and, and, and some particular focus on, on, on waste and making sure that you bring the right products into the lab in the first place. So you, you've mentioned um, waste reduction. Um, you've mentioned it there and you've also mentioned how you try and, um, or the fact that you try and do that in your in your own research and development. Um, what what are some of the actual uh, techniques that you try and apply to, to keep that waste down as much as possible? And um, and how, how can other labs try and emulate that? We try and minimize the material coming in and then we um, we have a, recycled waste stream, we have a composting waste stream, and then we have um, a, a landfill waste stream, which we, we try and minimize, and we have to minimize that to, to keep our, our accreditation on, on zero waste. Um, I think for the labs, there's, there's kind of a different challenge because I think many of the people who work in labs um, recycle. They, they certainly, many of them, the vast majority, are, I'm, I'm, I think, are really concerned about sustainability. But there's just a culture in labs, or historically a culture, where you you have single-use plastics, um, you throw stuff away, and stuff that in a in a home environment you would actually recycle. And then, as as I think I said earlier, there's been a a move to single-use from plastics from stuff that historically was was glass and I, I think um, I think the act label will help people change their behavior so they can see the, the, the real cost environmental cost of, of single-use plastics but even if you do use single-use plastics they typically can be recycled so having a recycling program reducing incoming material um, I think those are, are key things in terms of material and waste that labs generate. So do you think one of the, the ways to try and address the, the single-use plastic issue, you've, you've mentioned recycling there, but obviously the, the recycling process still has a lot of, a lot of energy associated with it. Um, do you think that trying to move 
back to glass and sort of sterilization and washing is a is a more appropriate way of addressing it or do you think that more efficient and more thorough recycling processes or potentially a, a, a mixture of the two um, are the way to go i think it's like all of these things it's probably some combination of the two i think um as you may know the the whole world of recycling has been kind of turned on its head um with um with china not taking material that historically they did take to 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 recycle or to throw away i'm 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 certainly not making the point that that the recycling industry is in turmoil because china did something bad but the the structure that's worked for recycling um for for quite a long time has been turned on its head um and particular you know plastic film is um as far as we know now not there's not an easy way to recycle it um so i think it'll be some combination of the two i'm not a subject expert i'm i'm you know i'm talking about my in my role as my green lab and what i see in our own organization recycling certainly needs to be done better and prioritized and we need to figure out better business models for that i mean i i personally would think you know there there should be um deposits on bottles and and material like that so there's a there's a monetary value to to bringing them back and putting them in the right waste stream um you know i i i'm old enough to remember paying the deposit on a on a glass bottle when i was growing up so the, the, those were good systems and i think if we had the right leadership we could we could have those not just in labs but but you know across the entire consumer products area too so whilst you've been on the on the board of Migri Lab, are there any particular um, sort of in either industry bodies or institutions um, that you've you've noticed you think are doing particularly good work in terms of um, implementing sustainability practices or coming up with newest sustainability practices for um, for life science lab, labs? And um, if so, what what are some of those practices and who's who's implementing them particularly well? There are a number of organisations. Um, uh, one in particular, the ACEEE, the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, and they they do a fantastic job. They're a nonpartisan group, I think, based in Washington D.C. Um, and I regularly read their their material, uh, and they do a fantastic job. I think you know what one of the things that I don't think is well understood is that. Energy, if you look at our sources of clean energy, energy efficiency is the largest source of clean, potential source of clean energy. You know, it's bigger than solar or wind. We could meet half the goals for the, the Paris Accord purely from energy efficiency. So um, organizations that are working in energy efficiency, um, I, I think that's not well understood, as I said, by, by, by most people that we don't so much need new things to be invented as to just do the things that we're doing better. You know, better lights, better windows, better practices. Um, it is an enormous resource, um, and it's been an enormous resource for decades, and we've not exploited it enough. So, uh, in in my opinion, the, the the any organization that focuses on efficiency. That's the first and biggest target. Long before you do, you know, solar panels on the roof or or, or wind, um, if you can just be more efficient, that has a very large impact. 
so to to focus in on that that efficiency um, aspect then, um, and to come back to your systems. Um, so you mentioned that the the Sterling cycle is something that's been around for a very long time, but no one had previously been able to implement that um, successfully commercially. Why why was it such a long time before anyone was able to um, to make that a commercial success? And um, what was different about your company um, that made you able to do it? Um, wow, that's a that's a good question. You know, techn- I'm not I'm not speaking as a kind of originally an engineer and as an entrepreneur. Um, it takes a very long time to commercialize technologies, um, and people don't re- really realize that. Um, you know, the fuel cell was invented even before the Stirling engine was invented, and I've I've watched the fuel cell kind of come and go, be on the brink of large-scale commercialization numerous times in in my career, um, and and people haven't solved the problems. Um, I think what we did in in Sterling is we there was part of what Robert Sterling invented was the the kind of thermodynamics, and part of what he invented was the mechanism, the way to implement it. I think. What, what we did, and we did, certainly didn't do this alone, I mean, like many inventions, a number of people um, thought of similar ideas at the same time, but, but um, we figured out how to get rid of the mechanism. What, what we make are called free piston sterling machines, so there's no crank mechanism um, or, or gears or anything like that. Um, so it, that was the, the, the big step, and I, I should say we didn't do that alone. You know, people from the 60s were thinking about that, but we figured out how to do it, and then and then, you know, manufacture it cost effectively, and then we figured out a market. Um, you know, um, you, you you don't you know what stands between an entrepreneur and success is not just a technically smart idea. I mean, you have to you have to do everything. You have to. You have to invent it. You have to make it manufacturable, which is very different from inventing it. Um, you then have to find some product that it goes into. You have to launch that product. So the you know the barriers to um, introducing a new technology are very large, and and many of them are not associated with whether it works or not. Um, getting something to work, I mean, it, it always feels great to get something to work, but typically that's a small step on the way to uh, entrepreneurial success in, in my experience i just wanted to ask as well so as you said with the sterling um cycle uh the barriers to it being implemented are not always necessarily technical um what do you see are the biggest um sort of gaps in energy efficiency um obviously we've discussed um ultra cold freezers um but in other areas in um within within life science labs um and do you see any existing um, methods or um systems that maybe have been created but aren't implementable at the moment that could begin to address these um these big gaps in efficiency and um if so what are they or do you think that there needs to be completely new new systems designed to address these efficiency gaps many of the efficiency improvements are behavioral. I mean, my green lab has done work, but also the International Institute for Sustainable Labs have also been a leader in this I2SL in trying to get user behaviors to change. And, and that was much of that effort was around um, fume hoods. Um, so fume hoods, 
historically, everyone would err on the side of, of extracting more air from the lab because more air is um, going to make it you know, safer. Um, and then fumigants typically have a, a, a door, a stash, and so you know, you'd have a fume hood taking conditioned air from the space and, um, and t removing it from the lab. Um, and then the sash not being changed when people being closed when people went home from the, at the end of the working day. So there was quite a lot of effort um, put into just trying to you know label fume hoods, get people to close the sash when they're not using it, um, and it, it may, that may seem like a, a small barrier the uh, behaviour. In in my experience, again, largely as an observer. I mean, I don't I don't work in a life sciences lab, but getting people to change their behaviors is actually very difficult. Um, it requires continuous effort. It's involved in education. Um, so I, I think even though we've built our business around a technical innovation, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the, a, a good example of what the, the most immediate targets are. I think it's the things that I2SL, my green lab identified you know, a number of years ago, which are behaviors, building design, you know, you, people sharing freezers. I mean, I happen to like technical innovation. It's been part of my uh, professional career. But I think um, behaviors are the place to start. And then, you know, some, some pretty mundane things, you know, um, you know the, the temperature setbacks on, um, on air conditioning equipment, lighting, the right windows, getting people to close the sash on their um, fume hood things like that okay fantastic um well it's really interesting to hear how even from your perspective who's someone who's made a big technical innovation to to help drive down the energy efficiencies and the the detrimental impacts that labs are having um to to say come out and say that actually a lot of what we can do to to affect this is just changing human behavior which quite commonly we are very bad at is um, we'll make all these technical developments to make our lives better or to improve systems or make them more efficient um, and then won't change our own behavior or make any amendments to ourselves to then further those improvements or or add any entity benefits through um, any of our own self-sacrifice which I think is um, an interesting point that we get stuck on quite a lot. Um, those are all of my questions Neil. Uh, do you have any last words to add? I just add a comment to what you just said. Um, I, you know, I was not the founder of Sterling Ultra Cold. Our, our founder is David Berkowitz, and we've known each other a long time. Um, and I think we w would both share an idea that we, in, earlier in our careers, that what stood between us and a more sustainable world was the invention of better machines, be they cooling or power generation. And um, and I think I, I that was a journey for me to realize that you know, inventing better machines whilst it's necessary um, and we should continue to do it. As you just said, the behaviors are have very large impact and are actually quite difficult to implement, but they are the things we should do first. So that was just a comment on that. Um, thank you. I enjoyed talking about this um, and uh, good luck. So that's a wrap for our Talking Techniques episode on sustainability. Thank you very much, Neil, for joining us. It was fascinating to speak to you. If you'd like to hear any more of our podcasts, you can find them in the podcast section of our website. Join us next time for the next episode of the Biotechniques Talking Techniques podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.